Hi, I'm Adrian Lee, and I'm guest hosting The Decibel. I came in 2017, right? Around 2017, there is a trend, like in the high school students, that everyone is going to Canada. So I will say I'm just that part of trend. That's Montajvir Singh. Montajvir, or Montage as he goes by, is a permanent resident living in Brampton, Ontario. Four years ago, he left India's Punjab province and moved here for school. Now, he holds down two jobs and dreams of one day becoming a federal food inspector. Our producer, Madeline White, spoke with him last week. We used to live in a village, and the village um, life is kind of different. Uh, you're going you're gonna to find there's no traffic. Like, very calm and very environment-friendly life. We used to work in agriculture fields also. I used to help my father. And we don't have any fixed timing of everything. For example, I don't have to wake up like at this time only. Like I have to wake up by 5 a.m. No, it's not like that. It's just a nice life. So whenever I'm like I'm, I'm back home and I've lived there like for 24 years. And I don't think so. I spent uh, any single night without my mom. So I'm just trying to give you an idea like how close we are. He was a smart kid growing up. And people around him said he should make his way to Canada. But when he got here to go to Centennial College just outside Toronto, Montage realized life wasn't quite how he pictured it. But that people, they never told how many, how much, how's the tough life going to be in Canada. Like, it's not easy making money right now in Canada. People post here, like, nice pictures, like, fancy places. For example, Niagara Falls, Blue Mountains, you know. And when people see these pictures... They want to be there. I'm going to go to Canada. I'm going to have a like fancy life. I'm going to buy expensive clothes. In Canada, we have a fun life only. Like hard work part is always missing in social media, you know. And when Montage went home for a visit just before the pandemic, he realized maybe why people didn't warn him about how hard and expensive it would be to live here. And for example, if I tell them like, oh, there's life is difficult, then they're going to come with a reply. Oh, so why you are there? Why you don't come back? <laughs> then they're going to feel like he's trying to stop me to, to growing up. He don't want me to go to Canada. <laughs> he don't want me to succeed like him, you know, like a jealous thing. So they're going to ask you a simple question that if life is that hard, then why you don't come back? Why you're staying there? <laughs> it's a good question. And the reality is Montage does feel conflicted about where he should be. If I would have known that it's going to be too difficult to be separate from the parents, then I would have never did this thing. As he said himself, Montage's story isn't unique. My colleague Dakshana Baskara murdi is the Globe's national race and ethnicity reporter. She's also leading the L6P project, which looks at the community living in that postal code in Brampton. Dakshana joins us today to explain how Indian international students came here and, faced with culture shock, have been struggling, sometimes with tragic results. That's today on The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Thanks for joining us, Dakshana. Thanks so much for having me. So we just heard from Montage Singh about his life back home in India and how he ended up here on a student visa with this idealized vision of what his life would be like. How are places like Brampton being sold in India? 
It's incredible uh, the marketing machine that is behind, you know, student recruitment um, to Canadian post-secondary institutions. And a lot of it is actually led by the students themselves who have come here to study. So you have, you know, thousands of YouTube videos. You have Punjabi hip hop songs. that mention places like Brampton, that name check, you know, some of these post-secondary institutions. Um, you know, there are colleges that probably a lot of Canadians don't know about uh, that are known in these small rural villages in India. Let's talk a bit about who these students are then before they come here. And there's this idea that international students are generally the ones who can afford these significantly higher tuition fees. But in your reporting, that wasn't exactly who you talked to, right? I mean, they're being charged um, thousands of dollars um, to study every term that they're here in Canada, but they're not coming from wealthy families. And, you know, before they even step foot in this country, they and their families have often gone into significant debt. I spoke to a lot of students, my colleagues spoke to a lot of students and their families who were from very humble backgrounds. And uh, it was just a matter of finding money where they could to, to pay for this education. The belief was that, you know, their families were investing in them. And yes, they were going to be, you know, going into debt and, and maybe risking losing their homes or, or their farms um, to, to fund their children's education. But down the road, you know, once they were finished school, those kids would then be earning, you know, big Canadian dollars that they could not only pay for a better life for themselves in Brampton, but then perhaps down the road could bring their family to Canada um, or, or at least pay for a better life for their families in India. And so that's the dream. That's the narrative that's been spun. But what is the actual reality for a lot of these international students when they do get here? The reality is a lot of struggle, a lot of financial hardship and uh, often mental health concerns that come up. So, you know, these students, many of them are coming freshly out of high school, 17, 18, 19 years old. Many of them have never lived away from home. Many of them have never left uh, their villages, let alone India. And they're separated from their families. So they're coming here and they're finding that the cost of living is really expensive. The fees that they're paying are much higher than domestic fees. And it's kind of a tough go for them. Um, they're limited in how many hours they can work every week. They can only work 20 hours per week while school is in session. And so the simple, you know, um, act of trying to finish their programs um, without going further into debt is very challenging. And they're often living in housing that is pretty substandard. They're crowding into these basement apartments um, and they're doing jobs uh, oftentimes that are uh, exploiting them. So let's talk about the mental health struggles that they might have to deal with. How exactly do we know that this is an issue that lots of international students are dealing with? So there is a survey that Culsa Aid Canada did with One Voice Canada, which advocates for international students. And they spoke to just over 300 international students, almost all of whom were from India. And they found that 30% suffered from clinical or major depressive disorder. 60% of them um, said that they suffered from poor well-being. 
And, uh, you know, sometimes the results of, of these mental health struggles can be really extreme. Um, I spoke to Kamal Bardwaj. He's the director of Lotus Funeral Home and Cremation Center in Toronto. And he said that he handles four to five international student deaths per month, many of which are suspected suicides or overdoses. So in the piece that you wrote with Neha Bhatt and Uday Rana, you wrote about Lovepreet Singh Gill. Can you tell me a bit about that story? So Lovepreet was a student who came from a small rural village, like so many others do, um, to Canada, to Brampton, to start uh, studies at Centennial College in Toronto. And um, he, earlier this year, in the spring, died by suicide after stepping in front of an oncoming train. And this was um, one of many international student deaths um, that happened among Indian students in the last year. Uh, His family was really in the dark about what his life was like in Canada. And um, one of my colleagues, Uday Rana, spoke to his father, who was just describing how out of touch he'd been with his son um, and how he felt like his son was experiencing a lot of difficulties in Canada, um, you know, perhaps financial hardship, perhaps depression, um, perhaps other things. But, you know, he didn't feel comfortable sharing the extent of his struggles. And, and I think that this is very common with a lot of students where, you know, they have put their family under a lot of stress um, and, and a lot of financial hardship to make the journey here. And so they don't want to communicate to them that they're having any difficulties, that, that they're failing. You know, they don't really have much of a support network um, that, that they can turn to. So there's this machinery that's in place uh, in India that basically recruits and encourages these students to get here. Can you tell us about what the costs of that recruitment is? Sure. So, you know, when domestic students are applying to post-secondary institutions, you know, usually they're applying directly to that institution and uh, the fees are kind of what that institution charges them. It's a completely different story in India. And a lot of students don't apply directly to the college or the university of their choice. They're going to a recruitment agency um, or, you know, a consultancy. You know, there's a lot of different names that they have for themselves who will say, you know, what city do you want to move to? I can get you into this college and it's going to be in the city of your choice and the program will be two years long. It's in web design. It doesn't matter that you're not interested in web design. This is your way to get to Canada. And just to process the application and, you know, get this offer of admission, some of these prospective students will pay anywhere from $500 to a couple thousand dollars. You know, once the offer of admission comes in, uh, they'll say, okay, and now you're going to pay me and I will then transfer those funds to the post-secondary institution and and that's how your fees will be covered. And a lot of times there are fees that uh, these consultancies will add on that go well above, you know, whatever the colleges are are charging, whatever the universities are charging. And so, 
you know, sometimes students are paying $10,000 or more just for this whole application process. So given all of this, the the financial concerns around sky high tuition fees, uh, you know, employment issues, housing and how there's not enough of it. And, and obviously the mental health concern. What, why are international students looking still to come to Canada for their studies? For the majority of Indian students who are coming here, the diploma that they're getting or the degree they're getting is really just a means to an end. They want to settle in Canada. They want to get their permanent residency. They want to get their citizenship and and start families here. So enrolling in a college program to study web design, that's really just a step in what they see as, as an immigration process. Do you have a sense of why it's easier for students to get a foothold this way? So post-secondary institutions are making a lot of money by bringing these students in. Domestic students pay just a fraction of the tuition fees that international students pay. So there's a great incentive to actively recruit these students to, to come to Canada. What's more, there's, there's a whole ecosystem um, that, that benefits from, from students coming here. Landlords who, who have their units to rent out to students. There are employers that are looking for laborers. Uh, and in 2015, international students spent $12.6 billion in Canada. And just three years later, that was up to $22.3 billion. So bringing them in in much higher numbers uh, is helping the economy in, in a lot of different ways. Can you give me a sense then on what Canadian post-secondary institutions have as far as interest in international students coming here? What is the revenue that it generates for them? So back in 2007, international student revenues were about $1.5 billion across Canada. But by 2018, they'd grown to $6.9 billion. And we have just seen this major shift happening where these institutions are getting less funding from the government. And so they are relying more and more on students to, to, to keep them afloat. And, you know, in the 2018 to 2019 academic year, the overall enrollment of domestic students actually dropped by 0.5%. Um, and it increased among international students by 16.2% um, compared to the previous year. So, you can see that they're relying on international students for, for growth since it's shrinking among domestic students. And there's definitely a relationship to how much domestic students pay, given that it's in some ways subsidized by international students. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. At Centennial College, for example, in Toronto, um, which is attended by a lot of uh, international students from India, domestic students pay $2,721 for the year, and international students pay $15,385 for the year. So once they arrive in Canada, what then is the role of Canada's post-secondary institutions? What, What responsibility do they have to these international students? That's a great question. And that is a question that a lot of students and former students and advocacy groups are, are, you know, posing to these post-secondary institutions now. And, you know, there is at least one post-secondary institution, Sheridan College, which has a campus in Brampton, who, you know, are are kind of responding to this in a way that uh, I haven't really seen other places do. So, In 2018, they actually capped um, the number of international students they were recruiting. And it was in direct response to 
city officials in Brampton and social service organizations saying, our city can't support all of these students coming here. There is not, you know, adequate housing for them. Um, there aren't, you know, adequate supports for them. And so Sheridan College is having uh, this meeting this winter uh, with city officials from Brampton, um, officials from Peel Public Health and and other kind of interested parties to say, what can we do to, to better support these students? But, you know, for the most part, what I'm what I'm hearing from students is that there there isn't enough support coming from these institutions. You know, we were even seeing earlier this year when the um, COVID-19 vaccine rollout was happening, that there was a slower than expected uptake among international students because they thought that they had to pay to get vaccinated, which wasn't the case. COVID-19, I think, put a lot of these issues on the radar. So, you know, you had um, a lot of people who lost their jobs um, during COVID-19 um, who were able to collect CERB to, to sort of stay afloat. And international students um, didn't qualify for CERB. And so a lot of them, um, you know, were, were losing their jobs uh, and as a result, were losing their homes. Um, we... We spoke to some social service organizations, uh, for example, Punjabi Community Health Services, who were helping a lot of students who were getting evicted during COVID-19 and sleeping in their cars, sleeping on friends' couches, which, of course, during a global pandemic isn't a terribly safe thing to do. You know, I think the hope of all of these um, advocacy groups is that COVID-19 will has, has opened the eyes of you know, these various stakeholders like um, the colleges and universities, like governments, um, to, to better uh, support and protect these students. Well, this was great reporting. So thanks so much for sharing that with us. Thanks so much for having me on. Before we go, a quick update on vaccine mandates. In October, Andre Picard told us about the deadline Quebec had set for all healthcare workers to get their COVID-19 shots. After pushing back the deadline by three weeks, the Quebec government decided to scrap the mandate altogether. They said that if they stuck with it, there'd be a labor shortage that would cause service disruptions. Now, unvaccinated healthcare employees must be tested three times a week for COVID-19 or face unpaid leave. And in Ontario, on Wednesday, Premier Doug Ford announced he will not institute a vaccine mandate for healthcare workers. However, people who work in long-term care centers are still going to be required to be vaccinated by November 15th. And that's it. Thanks for listening. I'm Adrian Lee. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer. Angela Bachenza is our executive editor. Thanks to Dakshana Baskaramurdi. You can find her work and more about the L6P project at theglobeandmail.com. If you want to reach out to us, email us at thedecibel at globeandmail.com. If you want to reach me, I'm grudgingly on Twitter at Adrian K. Lee. And please make sure you're following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever app you prefer. Have a good weekend, and we'll be back on Monday.